I don't know about you, but I struggle with probably some of the same things you struggle with, and that is maintaining a vibrancy about my life, a vibrancy about my faith, a vibrancy about my marriage, a vibrancy about my vision, just a vibrancy about it. Sometimes I just get lost in it all. I don't know. Don't show your hands. But uh, how many of y'all ever wake up and are already dreading tomorrow and you're saying, oh, Lord, it's Monday again? And, you know, and you're just like looking at it. It's like, oh, my gosh. You know, school teachers is like, it's not even halfway yet. You know, and you're already like, oh, again, another Monday. You know, I don't know. Those, those Mondays come with great regularity. I don't know if you've noticed that. But uh, tremendous regularity. And then, you know, you feel it in your marriage. You get into this kind of rut kind of it's like, okay, you know. What happened to what we had? You know, we had it so well before, and now it's not what it used to be. And you kind of lose that sense of vision for, for life. And, and, and you kind of enter into a mode of where you are living to exist instead of where we should be existing to live. You know, where we're truly just like we can't wait for the next turn. We can't na- wait for the next challenge. And, 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 needs to be that way. I think that when you look at the people of Israel, as we've been kind of historically looking at them, there was a season of 40 years that they just they just lived to exist. It's like they couldn't die. They didn't want to die, but they just were there. They were just wandering for 40 years aimlessly, futile in their, in their attempts to live. And, and I thank God that we have not had a season like that as a church, that we have been very much in front in the faith area and very much uh, ready to risk it all for the Lord where He felt like we felt like He was leading us. And I think when you look at, at, our, at, our, at, our, at our great faith family, I think we've had that, that, that season of Moses's, if you remember. Just in review, quick review today, that Moses generation, those first families that we had that kind of helped us get going, that could see it and, or they could believe it before they even saw it. And then that Moses generation. We've got some. I think they're still here. I think you're, some of you are in this room or, or that Moses generation. They have persistence and commitment. But then there's that Joshua the generation that comes behind Moses. That's that generation I think we're moving into, that decade, the second decade of our church, where if we're going to truly go to where this church had a vision to go from the very beginning, Again, remember, this, this 19 acres of land that we're on, this world that we're, that we're trying to function in and trying to reach, this, this community that we're trying to be a, a church in and not just a, be a church about. But this has been our vision from the beginning. And that this is just the next step. This is just the next, next rung in the ladder, if you will. It's a big rung, yeah, no doubt about it. But it's just preparing us for what we've been about from the very beginning of time when we were just a handful in the living room. So here we are now where we are at today. And so that Joshua generation is, is where I'm calling all of us in this room to rise up because as if you remember chapter 1, Moses is dead. Joshua, it's time for you to arise. It's, it's a new decade. It's a new day. And then we've got, we've got those present challenges that we're dealing with. And the present challenges being that space limitation. That, that's our Jordan River, if you will. Before they could ever take the promised land, they had to first deal with the Jordan River. It wasn't about the Jordan River. The Jordan River was just a hurdle in the way to get to the promised land. And so really for us, it's not about building buildings. I'll promise you, I'll promise you. It's about what the means to the end that, that enables us to be about. Because really what we're about is that future destiny. 
that promised land that God's calling us to. Now, don't get the idea that the promised land is all peaches and cream, all right? That it's all this easy living kind of lifestyle. That didn't happen till heaven, all right? That's where that, that promised land happens. This promised land still required sacrifice. I mean, just read the rest of Joshua. Still required putting life and limb on the line. Still required much of them. But it was also where God was taking them. And where is God taking us? Where is He taking you, your family? If you call this home, it's not taking me. It's not taking this stage. This stage can pass away. This building can go away. Where is He taking us? This is only a means to an end. Is where this is all about. I'll promise you, as I've said so many times, is that I don't believe it's my calling to build buildings. In fact, I've avoided it and tried to detour from it and tried to do everything else but it. But we're just at a point now where we've got to do something about it. And so here we are today. In fact, I'm about expanding the ministry and touching more and reaching more. In fact, this, uh, this next week, you may have noticed it in your, in your, in your worship guide, that next Sunday we're going to introduce uh, to you, many of you already know him, but Caleb Gabrelli as coming on as a middle school minister for us. That middle school uh, ministry is kind of where sociologists are noticing there's a whole different age bracket out there. You have their preschool, okay, we identify that, and we've got that wing taken care of. We've got our children, and we're cramming them into a little room over here. That's that grade school age. And then we've kind of just jumped to the teenage age. But we're realizing there's, there's literally called the tweens, all right? I call them the awkward years. I have other names for them, but uh, I'll just leave it at awkward years, right? The dumb years, the puberty years. All those years right there are kind of weird kind of years. And sometimes what we do is we graduate from grade school and we push them into the youth group. And that is really a vast difference. I have a senior this year, and I have a sixth grader this year. When sixth grade would start the uh, middle school ministry. And there's a vast difference between my senior and my sixth grader. And they're literally in the same room together. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying again because we're not about steeples for steeples' sake. We're about people for people's sake. And what God wants to do, we're going to even expand the ministry even before we have the container. So you be praying about us in that because these are these, these tween years, they're awkward years. And if we can navigate with you as parents and the, and the tweens as they go through these years, if we can navigate with them through that process and keep their faith alive, then I think we have made a great progress forward. And those are the resources we can do as a church. As we grow larger, God's able to do things like that to us. Take your Bibles, be finding the book of Joshua, chapter 23. Actually, chapter 24. Chapter 23 kind of gives us an idea, kind of gives us the context. And if you, if you read that on, in your own time, you'll find in chapter 1, it talk, uh, chapter 23, verse 1, it talks about a long time afterward. We don't know exactly how long the span of time is, what we're dealing with. We just know it's a long time. And so they've been there a while. The people of Israel have been in the, pe- in, in the promised land for a while. They've been establishing themselves. They've conquered the land. They've conquered the giants. They've beaten down the fortified cities. They're there. They're in the land. At the same time, they're neighbors with the Canaanites. They're neighbors with the Hittites. They didn't drive them all out. They just suppressed them to the point that, okay, now you're, you're obeying our king. So it's, a, it's kind of a different age. It's under a different rule. It's in a different time. But at the same time, we find in chapter 24, I don't know what happened between 
the conquering years and the crossing the Jordan years and in chapter 24, the last chapter of Joshua. But there must have been something happening. Were they getting in a rut? Were they slowing down? You know, I talked about the rut in the marriage. You can be married for days or weeks or months or years and find yourself in a rut. You can take on a job and be in a rut very quickly. Some people look for ruts. They live for ruts. I don't think that's where God wants us. He wants us in the zone. The difference between being in a zone, where you may do the same things that the person does that's in a rut, is when you're in the zone, you've got your rhythm. In the zone, you've got a passion about you. In the zone, you're making headway and progress and forward movement. But when you're in a rut, you're just hanging out. When you're in a rut, you're just spinning the wheels. In the rut, you're just existing. That's all you're doing. You're really not living in your existence. And so I don't want to be in a rut. Gary Hamill says it like this, don't confuse the edge of your rut with the horizon. I think there's some good truth to that. Don't get in a rut and think, oh, there's the horizon. No, you're just in a rut. And you're just looking on the other side of the rut. So are you in a rut or are you in the zone? Because I want to be a part of a church that's in the zone. And I think the people of Israel, somehow we don't get a lot of the context, but I think they're kind of in a rut. Because Joshua comes back and he kind of has to stoke the fire a little bit. He kind of has to energize them a little bit. And he calls them to this historical city called Shechem. Now, you probably don't know much about Shechem, but in, in chapter 24, verse 1, you find you see this kind of happening. Shechem is a city that that is historical in nature. Let's just read verse 1. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Now, this is not just anybody and everybody come. He wants to make sure the leaders are there. He said, now, he summoned all the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel. So listen, if anybody's going to be there, we've got to have you there, guys. Lead. Lead like leaders. We need you here in Shechem. And they presented themselves before God. Now, now what happens at Shechem, I don't know how much the people of Israel really knew the, the, the sacredness of that place, but see, in, back in 2091 B.C., it was Abram who first went into Shechem and he built an altar to God there. And it would be some years later that Jacob would actually buy land from the Shechemites, and he would actually build another altar there. But you don't read much about Shechem between Jacob and Abram and Joshua. So I can see what Joshua's doing here. He's taking them back before he takes them forward. What did we do in the month of September? We went back before we went forward. We wanted to go back to those altars, if you will, where God visited us, where God touched families and brought families back together, where God reached into people's lives that were far from Him and brought them close to Him. We had to go back before we went forward, and that's exactly what Joshua's doing here, is he's taking them back to this sacred place, to this holy place where God was worshipped and identified. And then what he does, he turns the page, and he calls it a solemn, or excuse me, it's called by many a solemn assembly because he says they presented themselves before God. All right, even though Joshua called them, it was a holy, sacred assembling together. Tonight, we're going to have a concert of prayer. Now, you may not have ever been to a concert of prayer, but the closest thing I could point you to today to get your hearts ready for that would be chapter 24, verse 1. Whenever He calls the people of Israel together and they present themselves to God. And so tonight, we're calling our church back for a sacred assembly, for a concert of prayer. 
to gather around this in vision. We've been praying, but we're coming together and we're going to pray even more. But what happens from chapter 24, verse 1, in verse 2, all the way to verse 13, Joshua speaks to the elders, to the leaders, to the officers, to to the commanders, if you will. I mean, there's a big, a lot of people. You have to have organizational structure here. So he's got this organizational people here. And 17 different times, in a barrage of divine personal pronouns, he says one after another, referring to God, he said, I took, I gave, I sent. I brought you out. I brought you in. I destroyed your enemies. I delivered you from the hand of your enemies. Do you hear what he's doing? He's taking them back before they go forward. He's reminding them of what God has done before we talk about what God wants to do. And so he's bringing them back. He's trying to get, I think, out of a rut. He's trying to revive their spirits and bring them alive again. And so tonight, today, I want us to come back again just quickly, just to say, what has God done in your life? Has He brought your family, has He revived your faith? Has He done something in your child, in your children's life? What's what's He been doing in your friend's life? Look back at that and say, God, you have worked here. God, thank you for working. In the masses, in the micro, in the macro, you have worked in my life. Because we are at a point, church, Grace Point Church, we're at a point. We're at a point of inflection or deflation. And I'm not trying to throw fear. We're at a point of inflection. Or we're at a point of either deflection or deflation. And what we do in the times like this, what we do in seasons like this, making hard, big decisions is going to be crucial. And so what Joshua does, after reminding him of everything that God has done, now go to verse 14. Probably the most familiar passage of Scripture in all the book of Joshua. He says, now therefore fear the Lord. After you remember all that God has done, fear the Lord, respect Him, honor Him, worship Him, and serve Him. There is fear, there is service. There is service, there is fear. We talk about it when we talk about breathing in and breathing out. You come in this room, I pray it's a worship experience for you. I hope you go out of this room and you serve our children and you serve the next generation. You're breathing in, you're breathing out. Notice here, he said, we fear the Lord, worship, you serve Him. Breathe in, breathe out in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods of your fathers, that your your fathers served beyond the river in Egypt. And serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day who you will serve. Whether gods, the gods your fathers served in the regions beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, what does it say? We will serve the Lord. What a declaration. What a moment. What a point of decision. That we have here. I want us to think about every day of our life. Are we in the zone? Or are we digging a rut? Am I just functioning? Am I just existing? Or am I truly in the zone, living in rhythm and passion and vision in my life? I want to be a church. I want to lead a church. I want to be a pastor. I want to be a person that's in the zone. That knows where God is leading, that's serving God unequivocally serving Him. 
So what do we need to do? What do we need to see, learn, bubble up from this today? I think there's three parts to every day, starting tomorrow, starting today, and every day thereafter if we're going to move into the future. Three parts to it. One part is you need to see that there are choices to make. Choices to be made. Every day you're going to have choices. This day, yes, there are choices to be made. I love choices. Every time you go to Starbucks, you have nine, Starbucks says this, 19,000 ways you can order up that coffee at Starbucks. 19,000. All right? You can order up coffee at Starbucks. Choices. We live in a land of choices. How many television stations do you need? You can only watch one at a time. But how many stations do they give you on your satellites and your cable to watch? You can only watch one at a time, but you've got to have all the choices laid out there. We've got so many choices, we delete them from our choices. Just to narrow down our choices, we've got so many choices. When you think about going in and buying a light bulb at any given store, you have 2,500 different choices of light bulbs. We live in a world of choices. They're all around us everywhere we go. Jesus even spoke of choices. And you look in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Again, he's speaking in metaphorically, but he's speaking of the choices, the paths. They don't have 19,000 paths. You really have two paths. All right? He says one's going to be easy, one's going to be wide, but it leads to destruction. Just know the end of your choice. All right? He says, and those who enter are many. So that's the popular way. It's the way most people are going to go. It says, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Wow. There's so much to unpack in that passage of Scripture. But let me just say the wide, easy, everyone's going kind of way, that's a destructive way. It's destructive to your career, to your marriage, to your, to your character. The way that everyone's doing it, the way Hollywood portrays it, the way that's out there, be weary, be leery, don't go there. <laughs> it's dangerous, all right? But the way of Jesus, it's going to be hard. There's not going to be a lot of people go that path. It's going to require something of you. It's going to require a lot of you. Me and you every day of our life. But that's just the way that we go. The thing is, is that most churches, I'm speaking to the church today, okay? But you apply this in your individual life as many ways as you can because you have choices every day. But the sad fact is, is that most churches make no growth choices. Most churches do this. Most churches come to a point of decision. Most churches come to a time. And I'm not just speaking from some book that I've read. I'm speaking for 23 years in vocational ministry, pastoring different churches, traveling to 21 different nations, and most of that being related to church development work. I'm just saying it's not my first rodeo. It's not my first time to be in a church and be a part of a church that has to make tough decisions. We have choices we've got to make today. You've got choices you're going to make as a family. The sad part is, is that a lot of churches, a lot of church members, step up to the line of the choice and they look at the choice and it looks hard and it looks difficult and not everybody's doing it and they back away. Now, what did Jesus say about His way? Is it going to be easy? Is it going to be the popular way? Nah. It's going to be difficult. 
in whatever choice that we make every day of our life, are we going to make no growth decisions, choices? I sure hope not. Here's a life principle for you. Again, it comes, originates from Blackaby. Just value his, his insight and wisdom so, so much. He said this, every God calling calls for a God-sized adjustment. God calling, God-sized adjustment. Not God calling, what can man do, size adjustment. Not God calling, what can my family mathematically figure out, size adjustment. But a God calling equals a God-size adjustment. You, you think about this throughout Scripture. Noah, first man to ever stand up and say, there's going to be a flood and I'm going to build a boat. Was that a God-size adjustment? Absolutely. He did something that nobody else was doing. You think about Abram when he left his homeland. You think about Isaac when he was going to offer his son. You think about David when he left the sheep to become a king. You think about Jonah when he overcame prejudices so that he could reach the, the city of Nineveh. God's side adjustments, prejudices, lifestyles, residencies, everything. God's size adjustments when God calls us to do God's size thing. You're going into Matthew. His career changed. He was a tax collector. His career changed. Because there was a God-sized calling on his life. When God calls us, it's going to require God-sized adjustments. Are you operating in the secular humanistic man side or the God side? There's choices. Choices, though. But I'll tell you this. The choices you make every day of your life, not just the choice that we make today as a church and you make today as a, as a family, but the choices that you will make when you go forward every day of your life will be God-sized. To take you to lands you've never gone before, to places and to people you've never been involved in their life before, to uncomfortable, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. But as Jesus said, it is the road, though narrow and rough and difficult, it is the road that leads to life. And few there be that find it. You've got choices. Choices set before you today. What's your choice? What choice do you have? Do you have multiple choices? 19,000 choices? How many choices do you have? Because when it comes down to it, there's going to be one right choice. What is that? All right? I also want us to see that it's time-sensitive decisions. We have choices. We have decisions that we want to make every day. And they're time-sensitive. If you notice that, what Joshua said there, he says, if, if it's evil for you in the eyes of the serve the Lord... Choose, there's the choice, this day. This day. Now, Blackaby, again, would call it a crisis of belief. There comes a time when you've got to make the decision. There comes a time when you've got to draw the line and say, okay, choice time. Time to, time to walk across the line. I'm calling it the apex moment. I think we as a church are coming to an apex moment. You've been, you've been hearing since the spring. We've been taking download information since the spring. We have been processing this multiple meetings, multiple conversations, families. This past two weeks, David Mills and I uh, were, were meeting in 14 different, no, 16 different homes in 14 different days, meeting with hundreds of families, oh, well over 100 families in our church, just downloading, processing, saying, go home and pray. We need to understand that the decisions, the choices that we make, there comes a time you've got to make it. It becomes decision time. There's a decision for today. 
There's a decision for today. Procrastination isn't an option in your life. Where are you at? Right now. What's the apex? What's the crisis of belief moment for you right now? Are you, are you ready to make that decision? You know, sometimes you don't have all the facts. Sometimes you just got to make a decision. When we moved back from Africa to here to start Grace Point, we had more questions unanswered than we had questions answered. I'll promise you that. Income, who's going to be with us, who's, where are we starting? Uh, so many more questions than we had answers. And as we went through that process, we had to make a decision. And there's a little statement I've heard somewhere along the road. I don't know who to give credit for. It's not that profound, but it's been one of the de- mottos of my life. Lori's heard me say it. The kids have heard me say it. Here it is. Make a decision, then make it work. you got to make a decision, and then you got to make it work. It's not make a decision, then waffle. Make a decision, then go back and second guess. Make a decision, then find excuses. Make a decision, make it work. Adjust what you need to adjust. Do what you need to do. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. You're going to second guess it. Make a decision, then make it work. Billy Graham used to say it like this. Not to decide is to decide not to. Just to linger out there in indecision, linger out there in procrastination, linger out there. No. Make a decision. Make it work. It's not only a decision for today, it's a decision for every day. Every day. You're going to be making decisions every day of your life that are going to be vitally important here. And you're going to have, in fact, you're making a decision today that, that many of your families are going to make this decision today. And as you make this decision today, two months from now, three months from now, not to mention three years from now, you're going to go back and you're going to go, oh, am I sure? You know, I got cold feet, lost the excitement. The adrenaline's gone. You know, all that kind of stuff is going to start happening inside of you. So every day of your life, you're going to have to say, this is a decision I made. I'm living in this decision. It's the right decision, even if I don't feel like it. Because you're going to be approached with temptations, if you will, to sacrifice your values. Because you'd say values, okay, Christ, His worship, children, spiritual formation of children. That's a value. And you're going to be tempted to replace your values for what you want. And what you need to do, you need to put your values over yours. What do I value? That's where I'm going to put my money. What do I prioritize? That's where I'm going to put it. My time, my talents, my treasures. But your values and your wants are going to be constant in combat with one another. Be very aware of it. Greg Boyd said in the myth of Christian religion, he said, we all make initial pledge to surrender our life to Christ. But the actual life we pledge to surrender is the life we live each moment after we make our initial pledge. For the only life we have to surrender is the life we live moment to moment. When you have that decision put before you, value, want, you're going to have to make a decision again and again for the next three years, for the next years of your life. Choices that you make today are big. And when you come, come to that dark moment and things begin to rattle you and your, your decision that you made today gets, becomes in question, listen, don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. In this light moment, in this moment of your prayer, in the moment of your commitment, Don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed in the light. That's true in any and every decision of your life. 
I told you at the beginning, I'm applying this to where our church is today. But you can apply this. You've got choices every day. You've got to make them every day. They're time sensitive. But one other is it's a personal decision. Notice what he said. He said, choose this day whom you will serve. It's not a decision that I can make for you or you can make for me. It's a decision that you make. And the decisions that you make many times, again, if you refer back to Jesus' calling, is that it's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. It's going to be lonely at times. You may be the only one on the path at times. Change is painful many times. Anytime you make a change, an adjustment, you're going to go here and instead of here. You're going to zig instead of zag. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. But you know what? Not changing is, is just as painful. It's just a slow, dull pain that, that just grows with time. When you become irrelevant, when you get into a rut, life gets boring. You just exist instead of live or exist to live. And you're really living out your life. You know, if you don't constantly adjust in this world, make those choices as an individual, you're going to have to put it on the line as an individual, as a family. And the choices you make will be tough. The choices we're asking all of our families at Grace Point today to make are going to be tough. We're asking each individual. It's not just Mike, what are you going to do? It's not just Eric, what are you going to do? It's, it's not just Will, what are, you, what, what, what are you and Waltina going to do? It's what am I going to do? How, how am I going to be a part of this? Choose you this day whom you will serve. It was in 1592, 600 men, 16 horses, 11 boats, Hernan Cortez entered into uh, Central America on a, on a plateau called, that we call today Mexico. Spain was entering into the New World. And as Cortez and the 600 men got onto the beaches and went up onto the land, just slightly onto the plateau, instead of immediately going into the battle, instead of immediately going into the cities, instead of immediately conquering the lands, he kept the people on the beach. He kept the men on the beach. He poured into them. He just gave speeches. He rallied the troops. He called them together. But it was three words that he said that kind of capped it all. It was the apex moment. It was the crisis of belief moment. It was the point that now it's time to take up our spears and swords and conquer the land moment. Whenever he turns to his men and he says three words, burn the boats. Because burning the boats meant something. There was no retreat. Burning the boats meant that they couldn't go and attack the first city and conquer the lands and then come back and get on the boats because they're they're fearing that they're going to lose. It was all in at that point. And I want to say today, we've got to burn the boats behind us. This has got to be a major decision that we make in our life, that we'll make every day, that we'll make today, that that we'll not waver from. Do you see the intensity inside of Joshua, where he comes and he says to the people, listen, I'm putting it on you and you and you and you and you and you and you, every single one of you, I'm putting it on you to choose today. You want to take the gods of the Egyptians? You want to take the gods of the Amorites? You want to take the gods of our forefathers long, long time ago? Or you want to take the God that Abraham built an altar to right here and Jacob built an altar to? 
and the God who delivered us, and the God who took us out and brought us in, the God who gave us that. Who are you going to follow? Where are you going? And then I love Joshua when he leads like a leader. He says, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Unequivocally, unashamedly, without hesitation, he did that. You know, I, I think about where we're at as a church, and I and, you know, again, are there parallels? There are parallels between us and Joshua. Uh, they, they had a different challenge than we had. They had a river. We have space. They had to conquer a land. Okay? We don't conquer land here. There's differences, but there's parallels. And I think one of the parallels that we need to be careful of, are we in God's zone? Are we operating where He is working? Because if He's working and He's adding and we're not responding... And we're step, stepping in line with what he's already doing. Look at where God's moving and join him. If we're not, then I think sometimes we're getting into a rut. And I don't want to be there. You know, and I think about this, this expansion that we're about to go into. And we've said, number one, all the way through this time, John Oliphant led us in this, in this exercise of making sure we establish our priorities in one of the earliest meetings that we ever had as an LDE team. He said, what is our number one priority? We all said, again, unequivocally, children. Children, number one, we've got to make sure. And you know what? Now, I know that this is a little bit of a play on words, but hang with me on this. When we build this expansion, we literally get two buildings for the price of one. We get this facility that instead of 45 kids hanging out, 100 kids hanging out in a room of 45, that this building that we're in right now becomes the student, the youth, the middle, uh, the, the, the middle school building all week long. This is theirs. And so as we move out, moms and dads, and we make space for our children, because that's really what we're doing, we're moving out to make space for them, we're literally giving a space instead of 45, as a room designed for 45, we're giving them a space designed for 450. That's a big difference. They're going to have room to do activities. They're going to have room to do things that in this facility. That's awesome. Now, we move next door. We take our preschools with us. All right, so we can be with them when they cry and all that kind of stuff. We move. And really, when you look at the, the size of the two expansions, when you look at this, phase one, phase two, and, and all that, we're about 60% of square foot dedicated to the next generation. Now, I'm sorry. I have no problem with that. Because the thing is, is, is my 12-year-old, he's not going to come to me and say, Daddy, I need more space. I, as an adult, need to realize this is a priority. I'm going to make it a priority in our family. You know, I've been carrying with me, actually I left it on the back counter back there, my, uh, my little acorn. I don't know if you've been carrying your acorn with you. I heard one person said there's busted open. Maybe a tree doesn't grow out of purse or something like that. Um, but I was actually, I performed a wedding yesterday afternoon and I actually had the acorn in my pocket. And literally during the ceremony, I, I touched the acorn and I, and I what is that? You know, and you take all these thoughts in, in, in a quick moment, and it's that acorn. And I'm sitting in the middle of a, of a wedding ceremony, and I thought of the acorn. And I thought of, I thought of because it's a blended family. So you had kids from the, both families flanked out there. And this a family attends our church. And, and, and I just kind of, in, in the middle of the ceremony, kind of said, you know what, kids? Realize that you're a part of this that's happening right here. And, and, I, and I thought about my kids in that moment. And I thought about, oh my, you know, I, I, I want, and I've been praying every time I touch that acorn, God, 
I want to plant my children as strong oaks in this world that's going to have a lot of wind and a lot of turmoil. Would you help me, God? And then I, I remember this quote. When you plant a tree, you grow a legacy. I want to plant, and I want to invest in the next generation. I hope you will as well. You know, we've, we come to a point of decision today. And around this room are four stations. Uh, at each station, there's a little treasure chest. We've been studying the treasure principle. And if you're here today and you've brought your commitment, or if you haven't, there's probably one in the seat pocket in front of you. But just take that commitment, if you will, in, in a moment. Just fold it up. Just fold it over. And then we want you to, to in, in a moment when the band begins to sing, just to kind of go to one of these booths, one of these stations, one of these areas, and, and just to lay your, 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 your commitment for the next three years in that treasure chest. And when you do, right next to the treasure chest is a basket of, um, of puzzle pieces. These puzzle pieces mean something. I want to come back at the end, and I want to kind of explain a little bit of that. But when, when, you, when, you, drop a, when you drop your, your pledge or your commitment into, into the treasure chest, grab one of those puzzle pieces and just bring it right here. There will be some ladies that will be here, and they'll help uh, kind of direct you on what we need to do with that at that point. But I just want us to, to commit this time to the Lord because I know we've been praying, but now's the time of decision. Father God, we thank you for this moment this time and place and the opportunity, Lord, to worship you in so many different ways, to serve you in so many different ways. And choices that we make every day of our life is just another act of serving you or serving the gods of this world. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that, that right now you would awaken each and every one of us to this point of decision that we make right now as a church and how each family can be a part. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, we praise you, in Jesus' name.